Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 28th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier, and Jan Simpson. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, is now available and can be purchased wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hello. Peter, coming up on the Theater World Awards, uh, mm-hmm. we, last week we skipped the way in which people can get in, get an invitation from you if they because they are special listeners to Broadway Radio. <laughs> I'm almost full, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm allotted 80 uh, tickets, and um, I, at this point I have 73 uh, people coming. So uh, if indeed you want to email me at P-F-I-L-I-C-H-I. A at Gmail. Um, the first seven people who do will get in, but that's going to be it um, because a lot of our listeners have responded, and I look forward to seeing them all there. That's uh, June fifth at June Circle 5th, in the Square, Monday at seven o'clock. Yes, indeed, seven o'clock. All right. So, also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. And Michael's also got his uh, Jerry Orbach's Broadway uh, coming up at 54 Below in July. So uh, email Michael to uh, get the... No, you go, go. we have a link in the show notes to uh, go to 54 Below and purchase those tickets there. Yes, and actually, if you buy tickets today... Uh, I'm sorry, not today, tomorrow, okay. uh, Memorial Day only. Mm. Um, they're having a sale for, uh, 40% off. Ooh, that's wow. Cool. All yeah, right. So that's considerable. You uh. bet. You bet. <laughs> wow. That, that wow that you just heard was Jan Simpson. Mm-hmm. Jan is a theater journalist who writes the blog Broadway and Me and hosts Broadway Radio's podcast Stagecraft and All the Drama. She has twice served as a Pulitzer Prize juror. And uh, I don't, it's not in the bio here, but Jan, you were also a member of the OCC. Yeah. Yeah. We just had our uh, award ceremony uh, this past Thursday. Um, we had it at the uh, Library for the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center. And uh, there were just some great speeches, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is always nice to have uh the recipients come and 
they know in advance that they are winners. And so they prepare really lovely, lovely speeches. So it was a great, it was a great event. The OCC stands for Outer Critics Circle, which is yes. an organization that uh similar to like a drama desk that mm-hmm. uh and Drama League and the various different organizations that present uh annual awards and uh Outer Critics Circles was uh just this past week. Yeah, and for the first time we did uh non-gendered awards and uh and that worked out uh, wonderfully well. So, all right. Uh, also, Jan, you have coming up. Uh, you're going to be interviewing Patrick Hoffman, the director and curator of the uh, Theater of Film and Tape Archive, yeah. at the Library for the Performing Arts uh, next Thursday, June 1st. It's a, t- a celebration of the Tape Archive's 50th anniversary. And if you're a listener who might want to attend, then uh, I have a link in the show notes where you can click and uh, get more information about attending. So head over to broaderradio.com uh, for that link. Yeah, we'd if- love to have you. It's a free event, and so, but you do need to register. Mm-hmm. And it's in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the archive and uh, the wonderful exhibit uh, that uh, has been in the library uh, commemorating um the the archive and that will be ending uh at the uh end of the month so uh so it'd be great if uh folks come out patrick has been the director and curator of the archive for about 20 years and has great stories to tell okay so check out that link at broaderradio.com uh, if you're in town and you want to uh, check this out on Thursday, June 1st, uh, what time of the day is it? It's 6 o'clock. 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that going to be in the Bruno Walter Auditorium? It is indeed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there is that Christmas song, the most wonderful time of the year, but I dare say this is the most wonderful time of the year with all <laughs> these great things happening. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we don't know what's going to happen this year's uh, at this year at the Tony Awards for <laughs> categories like best orchestration, but next year's Tony Awards for best orchestration, I'd imagine, is not going to include "Here Lies Love." We nah. hear that uh, we hear that "Here Lies Love" is going to be using a pre-recorded orchestra. And it's gotten uh, lots of people excited in social media <laughs> and on message boards. So well, I think it still should be avail- uh, eligible for best orchestration. Somebody had to orchestrate the music that's yeah, going to that's, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Although I'm not sure how much of it is. Uh, well, even if it's electronic, there's still yeah, to I mean, or- somebody has to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that said, though. Um, this is another example of something I don't think the public really cares about very much. And I have to say, out in St. Louis, Jack Lane uh, has done a wonderful job in making that theater into a real player. And he's been doing it for um, <laughs> well over 20 years. And he always uses pre-recorded music. And I, I, I'm afraid to say the truth here that uh, if he didn't have that, I'm not sure that his theater would have succeeded. He really need to cut down on expense. Okay, that's regional. But here we are on Broadway, and we do expect a little bit more on Broadway. But frankly, I don't even think the public even notices the difference between a live orchestra and indeed um, a pre-recorded track. 
partly because <laughs> for so long now, we've had um, amplifications in um, orchestras with so few pieces. And I think they're used to a, a, a sound that isn't as distinctive as we once had. So, uh, Peter, Michael, and Jan, all three of you saw Here Lies Love when it was down at the public. And it's a, a bit of a non traditional. Uh, I, I say site-specific type of uh, presentation, and it seems as though uh, from what we have seen so far in the, in the promotion of the Broadway production, that the seats have been removed from the Broadway theater, and, uh, and, and it seems as though that this is also going to be a non-traditional presentation of of a musical now we're not going to be sitting in the orchestra and watching from there we're going to be traveling with it maybe it's really not a cost-cutting measure as much as it is a logistics measure what do you think having the three of you having seen it downtown well that's what they're saying that it's supposed to be specifically like a karaoke party evening uh and someone said or someone wrote um i didn't check this out that David Byrne, who's the composer, uh, was previously very vocal about having live music for his other show, uh, American Utopia. So it's not. So it does seem to be uh, absolutely and truly an artistic decision. But the pro- the only problem is uh, you know, you can look at it from the other end too, and it can be such a slippery slope, especially when you know Peter says things like he just said uh which may be true but it's like then we're all we're all going to be singing to records you know Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. what patrick quinn uh memorably said um the late patrick quinn uh one time during one of the broadway uh job actions when they were trying to reduce the orchestras uh and that was that was one of the worst um Conversations of that that ever happened and he said yeah you know i mean there there's there's a wonderful thing that happens between live musicians and and live uh actors that doesn't happen when it's when it's just a track uh so it's not a black and white situation but but one can certainly understand why people are so concerned uh when when a live orchestra is completely eliminated and it's just going to be tracks. Well, I'm the wife of a pit musician. <laughs> so I've got a dog in the fight. Um, <laughs> and as, um, as we say in our household, it's called a musical. And so you want the music. Yeah. And I just take note of the fact that when there are, the large uh, orchestras or there's a reveal of an orchestra on Broadway, the audience goes crazy. You know, they, they applaud and, and maybe because, um, uh, you know, of my relationship, I am particularly sensitive to it, but I notice that a lot of people at the end of shows stay behind and applaud the orchestra. Mm-hmm. I think people do care. Um, I just feel fewer and fewer do because again, they've been brought up on this type of um, pre-recorded track uh, in discos and clubs and all that. Mm-hmm. 
And this is this is our audience now today. These are the people who have um, found their way into theaters, and I think they're not the least bit surprised to hear music that's canned. So um, it's it's just another nail in the coffin of what we experience. You know, one of the nice things about sitting in uh, the mezzanine of a show of a musical is that you can see the orchestra up there. It's 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 a lot of fun watching the orchestra uh, play. And um, I've, I've enjoyed that when I've um, sat in the mezzanine. So uh, even that's being taken away. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been musicians who insist on sitting in the mezzanine so they can see what the orchestra is doing. Uh, they enjoy that quite a bit. So, uh, but uh, I'm afraid it's one of those things that doesn't matter as much to people as it does to us. All right. So we will uh, see how this plays out. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll be... The four of us will be seeing uh, your life's love uh, relatively soon. It's, yeah, I don't look forward to it because I'm telling you, you have to stand. And I'm, I leaned against the wall and they said, you can't lean against a wall. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> see why that's a problem, really. You know what I mean? So so I know there are a few seats available and I'm going to work very hard to get one of them. <laughs> I think it's more than a few. Um, it's just yeah. not the majority. I, I think basically they've kept they've kept the um like the mezzanine the mez and the uh sides yeah. yeah yeah uh from from the uh videos of uh what they've released so far from the press people uh i'd imagine that uh, uh that there are seats that are going to be available there in, in some capacity but peter it's still better than that box show that we saw down at uh <laughs> New York Theater Workshop. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <years> yes, indeed. <laughs> right. uh, we also have news about this year's Tony Awards. The WGA, uh, the Writers Guild of America, is asking uh, their members not to attend the Tony Awards on June 11th. Um, and if if somebody is uh, a member of the WGA and wins an award, they are asking them to uh, pre-tape an acceptance speech. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, comes into what I was saying last week is like, uh, it doesn't seem that the WGA is uh, giving full-throated support to the Broadway community uh, insofar as the Tony Awards go. Uh, so any thoughts about this? Well, I don't see the difference between uh, a pre-recorded speech and being there. Exactly. <laughs> what what yeah. possible difference could that make? It's if they're still accepting it, and yeah. it's not. Uh, that's so silly in yeah. my mind. All right, we still got two weeks, so yes, uh, you know, true. there's. It's very true. You know, this is our version of the debt ceiling. We're a little <laughs> back and forth. So. Yeah. This is true. Who's Kevin McCarthy, though? Mm. Oh. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> let's move on to our review section. Uh, Peter, you headed over to Queens, to Long Island City, to see Theater East's uh, production of Muses. So tell us about this. Yeah. Uh, uh, Long Island City, <clears throat> it sounds daunting, but I'm telling you, if you take the 7 train, you'll be there in um, fewer than 30 minutes. I was amazed at how quickly you can uh, get there. So don't let that be a barrier. And um, it's in a funky neighborhood where there are places to eat, uh, quick meals. So don't get discouraged. Go out to Court Square and um, discover this theater east. Because I'm telling you, this director, Judson Jones, who's the artistic director, 
really knows how to direct a drama. Muse is a play that uh, deals with pedophilia on a different level. It's not a case of a guy who is guilty. It's a guy who is assumed guilty. And indeed, um, it's one of those you're guilty till proved innocent type situations. So um, I was tremendously impressed by the cast as well as the direction, because the direction has such tension in it. And that's the thing that I think is hardest for a director to do, to get tension. But boy, did he do it. Now, again, a terrific cast. Uh, Lauren Pisano, uh, just amazing as as Emily, a person who's certainly involved in the situation. She has a um, an art studio, and she may be dispossessed because, indeed, uh, her husband, uh, the gentleman who is, well, if you want to call him a gentleman, um, who is uh, accused of this, fooling around with um, a little girl named Grace, uh, wonderfully played by Tammy Quatch. So um, she's very much uh, distanced from him, um, partly because of this and for other reasons too. And yet he has titled to this place where she is creating art. So it's it's a real conundrum. For, uh, then there's Lauren Soa, who has um, a, a lot to do with uh, the plot as well. Um, I'm telling you, Joseph Dean Anderson, these people are terrific, terrific. And I hope that they're like a repertory company that uh, stays with um, Judson Jones, because really, they work together so well, so well indeed, that I was tremendously impressed. I don't know when I've gone to a theater um, in, in the boroughs where I've been so impressed by what I saw. Uh, a modest place, yes, indeed. Um, comfortable chairs, though. And um, I, I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do next. Theater East. Um, their um, slogan is Complex Story Simply Told. Yes, simply, indeed, but also powerfully. So um, uh, I'm going to be taking the seven train out time and time and time and time and time again to see what they're going to do. Okay, so it seems from their website that they have uh, quite a number of productions planned. It's a beautiful website, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Please so you do. You can check out what's happening up at uh, Theater East. They've. Uh, it seems like uh, I can't really tell exactly what's next, but they have a lot of stuff on their website about what they're doing and who they are. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jan, you got over to MCC to see Bees and Honey. So, Jan, why don't you tell us about this? Well, I know Peter talked about this, uh, I think, last week. Um, this is a play by a play, playwright uh, named Guadalice El Carmen, uh, who was new to me. Uh, it's a, a two-hander, and it's about um, a, a couple, uh, a Dominican couple uh, who live in Washington Heights. And one of the things that I really liked about this production, I like the whole thing, but one of the things I really liked is that when we we are talking about diversity and inclusion uh, in theater, we're, we're beginning to see the benefits of uh, of that conversation. And what's wonderful about it is that we're getting different kinds of stories. And it's not, not the same views of, uh, of different groups. Um, it's sort of like uh, for years, 
when we had gay stories, they were all coming out stories. Well, gay people do more than just that. <laughs> and so um, we've, we've now had a, you know, a breadth of stories um, uh, set uh, coming from that community. And it's wonderful to have this story, which is basically sort of a, a, a romantic, not even sort of a romantic story between these two people. They're very different. She's uh, a lawyer. He's uh, uh, an auto mechanic, although he owns his own business, a very successful uh, business. Um, so we're not dealing with, you know, the street, with gangbangers, with uh immigration an important issue but not an issue uh uh in this play we're dealing with uh a couple everybody can identify with that uh but whose story is influenced by uh, uh their backgrounds by the fact that they uh, are dominican i thought it was wonderfully directed by melissa crespo and really wonderfully acted uh, by uh, the two uh, people, uh, Maribel Martinez and Javier Pacheco. Um, what's this is part of an initiative called uh, the Soul Project, and the Soul Project has been around for a number of years, and it promotes plays by uh, Latino playwrights. And the most important thing I think it does is very often when there are ethnic um, uh, companies or ethnic plays, they're done on the side and, um, and people sort of go to see them to be virtuous. These plays by the soul project, the soul project, works with established theaters and they co-produce and they also uh, guarantee, make it possible that a play gets more than one production. So we're seeing this here uh, at MCC. Uh, I don't know where else it might be. It might be in Chicago. It might be in Washington, D.C. or out in the Bay Area, uh, wherever uh, uh, it's being done. If you have a chance, uh, do see bees and honey. It's uh, uh, a lovely, thoughtful, and at times very funny uh, and entertaining play. All right. So that is uh, play, playing at MCC Theaters, uh, uh, Susan and Ron Frankel Theater on 52nd Street, and it's through June 11th. Peter, were you going to weigh in there? I'm sorry. No, no, not at all. As as Jan said, I I talked about it last week, so I'm um, I'm delighted she liked it more than I did. Okay, uh, Michael has been camping out at fifty four below. I guess between <laughs> rehearsal and seeing awesome talent, uh, you saw two great things this week: Marilyn May at fifty four below, and then you saw Scott Siegel's Broadway's Greatest Hits. So uh, tell us about these these uh, events. Well, Marilyn is. Uh... <clears throat> you know, has become a, a, a fixture at 54 Below and several other clubs <laughs> in this city and several other clubs in other cities. And she's just she's just a force, a force of nature at this point. And um, her show on Friday was was really fantastic. She opened um, uh, the, there was a fantastic opening. She opened with the title song from Cabaret. 
which, as uh, we've mentioned before, she was the first person to record mm-hmm. that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, indeed, I, I believe her recording appeared even before the original cast album. Uh, yeah. And it was something of a hit. Um, you know, one of the one of the last, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, in the as the rock era had already begun, uh, one of the last of those kinds of songs. Yeah. To uh, so. So that was really significant that um, that she sang it, but was especially significant in this uh, instance is that when she recorded it and when she has performed it before, she only performed the main body of the song. She never uh, recorded or performed the the center section. I used to have this girlfriend known as Elsie, uh, which, of course, um, changes the whole tenor of the song. Uh, it, it makes it much, much darker and and more complex whereas if you just sing the main part of it out of context it just sounds like oh you know let's have fun and life is you know life is a party and 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 let's just just party it up uh so but here she she did sing the other part and she discussed the you know the fact that that she had never sung it before and and how it changed the song so that was really really kind of amazing um uh, and then the rest of her program was uh, a lot of things she's become famous for. It's it's today, uh, old friends. Uh, I've got the world on a string. Uh, so she did a spring medley because because it's spring. Uh, she did Golden Rainbow, uh, another one of her big hits. And um, <laughs> there was a memorable moment in the show for me because she also sang. Um, it never entered my mind. Uh, that beautiful mm. Rogers and Hart song uh, from a show that I can't remember the title of, of now. Higher and higher. And higher, yeah. Yes, thank you. Okay, it just came to me. Um, obviously, a show that's never done anymore, uh, but that song has uh, become a classic. And she did record it years ago on one of her RCA albums, but there again, she had not sung it um, in many years. So what happened was she started to sing. Uh, uh, it never entered my mind. And the first part was fantastic and terrific. But then she she blanked on the lyrics. And um, for some reason, Ted Firth, who was her uh, pianist, didn't have them in front of her. So there was a, a moment where she was really just standing there trying to remember um, the lyrics and, and sort of asking the audience <laughs> uh, if they knew. So I shouted out the lyric uh, because I happened to know <laughs> that song really well. And so, featured actor in a musical. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so she thanked me. And then afterwards, I, I spoke with her and I said, so can I now say that I that I perform with Marilyn May at 54 right. Below? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, you have. And she said, I thought that was you who yelled that out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was, a, it was a really, really, really great night. And uh, even on a holiday weekend, it was packed because she is Marilyn May and she's 95 and seems like she's maybe 62 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um just just incredible these people people like her and cheetah it's it's just it's just um it it warms the heart you know and Mm -hmm. it it really just warms the spirit to Mm -hmm. to just have them with us and and still still in such top form um and then uh the following evening uh I returned to Four Below for one of Scott Siegel's shows. Fifty Four sings Broadway's greatest hits, 
Um, I think this was his 108th show wow. <laughs> in that particular series. Um, and that was great also. And also uh, very full. Uh, the absolute standout of of the evening, which uh, an evening of standouts was this group that has performed um, for, for Scott before called Moy Pay. And they are three identical triplets um from uh nairobi kenya wow uh and they sing as you might imagine in in three-part harmony absolutely absolutely gorgeous they did two um beautiful i don't know who actually does their arrangements i'll have to uh, find that out um but uh perhaps it's uh, their father was mentioned as someone who you know who's very much behind mm-hmm. their career maybe it was him mm-hmm. anyway they did um corner of the sky mm-hmm. and sunday in the park with george uh well sunday the, the song sunday, uh-huh. Uh-huh. sunday in the park with george and um you know corner of the sky when pippin was on broadway uh and and for years after was so overdone that i think there was a point where nobody wanted to ever hear it again uh but then time went on and you know uh and i and i think uh it, it we can now recognize again what a wonderful song it is mm-hmm. especially in this gorgeous arrangement that they did which made it sound very different anyway um and sunday in the park uh that that sunday that sunday song uh there again the arrangement just just brought it to a whole nother level and their voices are you know it's, i mean it's like hearing one person singing um harmony with themselves when they do those multi-track recordings Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh you know uh so that was amazing but then we had another instance of that because the Drinkwater brothers were also in this show and um they did um some solo numbers each of them uh matthew did come to me bend to me and uh john did betrayed from uh from the producers which worked much better out of context than you would ever <laughs> think it would partly because his energy his comic energy was so phenomenal uh but then the song they chose to do uh, uh together um was proud mary <laughs> in tribute to mm-hmm. tina turner and as uh, as scott pointed out you you can make a case for it now being a broadway show too uh-huh. because it was uh-huh. in the mm-hmm. tina musical a secondhand uh, show too Yes, exactly. Uh, that that's a good term for it. Yeah. Um so that the, so those were some of the highlights but also Ben Jones was in the show and he sang Kiss Her Now from Dear World uh phenomenally well and he did uh there once was a man mm-hmm. from Pajama Game with uh Leanne Marie Dobbs and Kendrick Jones who we know from Shuffle Along and the Scottsboro Boys uh-huh. uh, was in the show, and he uh, did not sing, but he danced. Um, he danced uh, to uh, oh, this was a really great moment um, in sort of a tribute to um, Nick Cordero. Uh-huh. Uh, they performed uh, one of the great ones. From mm-hmm. a, a Bronx Terrific Tale, Terrific yes, song. and Ben Jones sang it, and Kendrick Jones danced it, mm-hmm. and the, the, and the audience was really, mm-hmm. really, really, really moved by that. Uh, but then also Kendrick uh, danced to "I Love Paris" from Can Can, mm-hmm. and then um, this Sophie Rapelko 
incredibly talented young woman did a bang up job with my new philosophy from uh-huh. Charlie Brown. And um, that's almost all of it. Uh, but I, I can't leave out Willie Falk. Uh, who did uh, a solo version of Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat, and and then uh, ended this program with his interpretation of If I Were a Rich Man, which I've seen him do before, and he really really has figured out uh, how to do that number to maximum, maximum effect, while still making it his own and not, uh, you know, aping Zero Mostel or Topol or anyone like that. Uh, so it was a really wonderful evening with the great Ron Abel again at the piano um, and just phenomenally well put together by Scott Siegel. It seems as if we don't do many um, podcasts anymore without mentioning Charles Kirsch, but I'll soon be seeing him seeing <laughs> if I were a rich man, because he's going to be in a production of uh, Fiddler on the Roof Jr. And I look forward to seeing mm-hmm. him and that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> All right. So uh, Scott Siegel continues to produce uh, great stuff at 54 Below and other places all around as well. Uh, But I just noticed on the 54 Below website, there are dates scheduled through April of 2024. So (laughs) you have lots and lots of opportunities to see him, uh, including Saturday, December 30th at 9.30 p.m. (laughs) So uh, they've got, uh, uh, it's too many to count, 20, 30 dates at uh, 54 Below for Scott Siegel's uh, performances. And they are are of the highest caliber. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's pretty much based there now, at least for the time being, he's, he's not doing shows at uh, town hall anymore, but at, but at 54, he has this series. Then he has a Sinatra series. Yeah. And then he has this Saturday night love songs, uh, love song, Saturday night, excuse me, (laughs) series. Uh, So he has at least those three. uh, And as you said, there's lots and lots and lots of dates. And everybody wants to be part of Scott's shows. There are many people waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I think oh, a segue wait. has just been <laughs> happening. <laughs> so Peter got over to Theater at St. Clement's to see Waiting in the Wings, unrelated to Scott Siegel, I might add here. And unrelated uh, to uh, Noel Coward. Uh, yes, unrelated to Noel Coward as well, as we talked about last week when Michael uh, gave his review of it. So, Peter, what did you think about Waiting in the Wings? Not much different from what Michael felt, but here's what I want to say. Uh, I'm going to go on a tangent here and tell a story about something that happened 30 years ago. (laughs) Uh, This young composer lyricist team was doing a musical in New Jersey. I went, I didn't much like it. And um, the next day the artistic director called me and said, these guys are just devastated that you didn't like their show. They feel so bad about it. Um, And it was just reporting. It wasn't trying to make me feel guilty or anything, but um, anyway, So these guys have gone on and have had Broadway show after Broadway show after Broadway show done very well indeed. And I said to the composer recently, Hey, how about that show you did in Jersey in um, way back in the nineties? Oh no, 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 uh, no, 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 that was, no, that that was no good. Yeah. So my (laughs) point is, you know, that I think the day will come when these guys who wrote waiting in the wings will look back and say, "Mm, this wasn't as good a show as we thought it was, but I have a feeling they're going to amount to something. 
I truly believe that because I saw talent in the lyrics. I also saw talent in the choreography. And I really think that if these people stick together, one of the next shows, maybe not the next one, but perhaps the one after that. But I hope they keep going because I really did see ability here. My God, was it long. I couldn't believe how long it was. And (laughs) unnecessarily so. I mean, at one point, somebody just comes out and sings Babyface, the song from the 20s. You may know it from Thoroughly Modern Millie. Just sings it and goes off stage and that's the end. It has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) Nothing. And yet there it is, killing time. So, um, but I have a feeling uh, if if these guys hang around long enough, um, we're going to see something good from them and i hope we do um because every now and then it was a smart lyric a perceptive observation yeah yeah so let's look at potential rather than achievement here okay so uh waiting in the wings continues on at theater st clements through june 4th and we'll have a link to that in the show notes jan and peter got over to manhattan theater club to see king james so jan why don't you get us started on this well peter do you want to um, you seemed really excited about it. Oh, you were not? <laughs> Let me put it this way. Um, you know, longtime listeners know that I often refer to Linda, um, and um, and they know that Linda is notorious for walking out. Linda is also not a sports fan at all. Exhibit A, when we started dating, um, I said, um, are you a sports fan? She said, no. Um, um, and I said, well, let's go out and, and see a ball game. I'll, I'll teach you to love it. And so uh, we went out to the Shea Stadium. The first batter hit a fly out to right field. The second batter hit a fly out to center field. And Linda said, so I guess it's two to nothing now. That is how much of a non-sports fan she is. And so I want to make the point here that here she was at a show about basketball. And not only did she stay, there was an intermission, but she liked it too. And um, I'm not surprised she did. I think this is a terrific play dealing with sports fans and uh, the mania the sports fans have. Isn't it interesting, by the way, this doesn't come up in the play, but it's often a a perception I've noticed um, that when you're a fan of a team and they do well, it's we won. And indeed, if the team is not doing well, it's they stink. You know, it's not we stink and it's not they won. No, that's a, and these are two guys who really are intent on, um, they really rise and fall. Uh, they're either happy or they're not happy as a result of what's happening with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, <laughs> did stink for a long time. I have a feeling it has something to do with the name. You know, they were cavalier about the way they were playing. So as a result, they weren't winning anything. Um, so we have two guys here, Glenn Davis and Chris Perfetti. Now, Glenn Davis is the artistic director of a Chicago theater company. And I mean, really, you don't usually see artistic directors show up as actors, but he is terrific. But so is Chris Perfetti, one of our theater world winners. Uh, Glenn Davis is black. Chris Perfetti is white. I mention that because that does become part of the plot as time goes on. Um and uh, there's a tiny misunderstanding that happens that winds up being a big misunderstanding. And it's too bad because I don't really believe that Chris Perfetti meant um, to make a racist remark, but um, Glenn Davis takes it in that way. And they do get into a scuffle about it. And again, this may uh, be just naturally uh, because uh, I'm a white guy and I, I see it that way. And I hope that's not the case. But but more to the point, they really forge a friendship in the early days. And um, one really, uh, well, let's put it, um, 
uh, Sean, the Glenn Davis character, winds up becoming a friend of the family. And that's an interesting thing, too. You know, when you have a friend who winds up being more fond of your mother than you are. And uh, that happens in this play that uh, the mother who's unseen is only a two character play. The mother who's unseen plays a big, big part in um, what's going on here, um, even though you don't see her. And you understand that uh, she's part of the glue that keeps these two together. And uh, so uh, I was tremendously moved by it. I thought it was very smart, very smart of Rajiv Joseph, the uh, playwright, to structure it in the way that the Cleveland Cavaliers rose and fall over the uh, early part of this uh, new century, because it takes place um, in various uh, years of this century. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there is a happy ending for the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Will there be a happy ending for um, Sean and indeed Matt, uh, the other person's name? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But um, I was gripped by it. Um, wonderfully, wonderfully done. Um, so uh, I, I, I do think it's worth seeing. But I'm getting the impression Jan didn't feel this way, huh? Wrong. I liked it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just uh, thought of you as more of a, a, a sports guy. Oh, I see. Although I don't see this as a, a sports play at all. Although the King James in the title is LeBron James Mm -hmm. and the play does track LeBron's career in Cleveland, which has been fraught. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were excited when he was a young rookie and bringing uh, just excitement and attention to the game and to their team. They were devastated when he left and went to, I believe, Miami. Uh, They were elated when he came back to Cleveland and uh, brought them uh, the city's first championship, I believe, in 50 years. So it tracks that. But at heart, this is a play about friendship, how friendships uh, form, uh, what it takes to maintain them, what happens when one friend becomes more successful than the other. Um, I've been over the past few years obsessed with the idea of friendship. And I think that's largely because of the pandemic where we were separated from our friends. And, um, and then as the pandemic has begun to ebb, figuring out, how to reconnect with uh, uh, our friends. And this is a, a wonderful examination of friendship and also of male friendship, which uh, is so different. I've always envied my husband because it doesn't seem to matter where we are, who the other mm. person is. Men can strike up a conversation about sports. It just seems like there you go. And so sports is the the glue or the vehicle, you know, pull up your own metaphor um, for these guys to connect. But it is about their friendship. This is directed by Kenny Leon. And I I go hot and cold on uh, Kenny Leon's direction. I know a lot of people are just, you know, total. Um, uh, team uh, Kenny. 
Um, I thought his direction was wonderful here. Um, he seems to be just as I thought it was with uh, Top Dog Underdog. He's a director who really knows how to work with actors. And when he is uh, able to have an intimate cast that he can really uh, delve into the material with, I think he's at his best. And I thought that was wonderful. Um, Chris Perfetti, I've... Uh, uh, adored for many years way before he you know got his sort of broader fame on the tv show um uh, i'm blanking on it now elementary uh but he uh he's i think he's always wonderful he might seem a little miscast here um but just by i think sheer commitment sheer talent he's wonderful at it Glenn Davis, um, uh, Peter alluded to the fact that he's artistic director of a Chicago company. That Chicago company is the Steppenwolf Theater Company. Um, so this guy is a, a major player um, in in theater, but he's been twice uh, on New York stages in just the past uh, few months because he was also in Downstate uh, that really remarkable play um, about pedophiles. And he was so different uh, to me in that play and this play that uh, I said to my friend, is that the same, you know, I'm not sure it's the same guy. Maybe we saw someone else in downstate. Mm. Um, He's, uh, you know, obviously a very fine uh, actor. It's a very, fine production and um uh i agree with linda <laughs> <laughs> linda as a meter <laughs> all right so uh that is king james now uh at the manhattan theater club and we'll have a link to that in the show notes uh playing over city center um, also, Peter and Jan got over to Laura Pell's Theater, the Roundabout Theater Company, to see Primary Trust. Uh, which one of you wants to go first? <laughs> Jan is. Yep. I'll yeah. do this. Okay. This is uh, a play by uh, Ebony Booth. Uh, she was a Pulitzer finalist uh, for her play Paris which um, might have even had a shortened run because it was running right at the time, right before theaters uh, shut down in 2020. Like that play, this is about a a misfit. Uh, This is a young man um, played by William Jackson Harper um, who lives in this small town in upstate uh, New York. And he had a very traumatic experience when he was young that left him orphaned. He lived in an orphanage for a while, lived in some foster homes. When he reached the age of 18, social workers found him a job at a bookstore. And his life revolves around working at the bookstore and drinking evenings at a tiki bar. 
I don't know how many people remember <laughs> Tiki Bars, um, where he has Mai Tais with uh, his best friend. Yes. <laughs> and his life, that is his entire life. His life is shaken, this, this, this sort of small existence in this small town is shaken when the bookstore owner uh, has some medical problems and has to sell the bookstore and move from town. This leaves our um, uh, young hero or central character, Kenneth. uh, He has to find a new job and I'm sidestepping here. I don't know how 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 know. you know how you want to step, Peter. I share your pain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also has to figure out how to make <clears throat> other friends, and it's the story of the 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 back and forth steps of his blossoming into uh, becoming a, a fuller person. Um, it has a wonderful cast um, led by uh, uh, William uh, Jackson uh, Harper, but uh, J.O. Sanders plays his bosses, uh, both the bookstore owner and his eventual new boss. Um, and he also has a, a, a wonderfully funny cameo role in the middle that I won't uh, uh, talk about. April Mathis. Uh, who people may remember from Tony Stone and also from the recent revival of The Piano, uh, plays a zillion characters, it seems, uh, in the play and plays them all um, amusingly and wonderfully well. Eric Berryman plays the best friend, Bert. This is a, a special kind of friend. And there is an onstage... Um, musician uh luke i'm going to attempt his last name uh wagadney uh who has created music that often for me music in a play can be distracting this i i felt almost as though at times the music was a character in um in helping to make uh Helping us to understand um, what Kenneth is 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 going through his his inner t- uh, turmoil. It's directed by uh, Knud Adams, who uh, just seems to be a remarkable director. I mean, I've liked so many of uh, the things that uh, he's done. I think it's a it's a it's the kind of play where the audience is so brought into it that at moments, at least at my performance, there is silence. And I looked around and, and really, literally, everyone was leaning forward. I was leaning forward too. We were almost trying to like support this character. At other times, something would happen and like half the audience would go, oh, I mean, it was people were really, really involved uh, in this um this unusual um and in some ways poetic 
uh, often very funny uh, a story. And William Jackson Harper, I think, is just a marvel in in the central role. This was a really good one. Okay, Peter, what did you think? It's funny that you mentioned uh, leaning forward because I recently had a um, a discussion with. With, uh, somebody who had seen a jukebox musical and said, I just leaned back and relaxed. I said, I like musicals that make you lean forward. <laughs> and uh, this play certainly did make people lean forward. Um, I, I commend everything that Jan has said um, and uh, think it's um, very hard for me to embellish any more. But what I will say, I'm going to quote a Bible passage here uh, from Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Our character does not. That's the way I'm going to get around mm-hmm. uh, this, Jan. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he does not. And you're thinking, my God, a guy 38 years old is still into this? I mean, and, you know, I'm not talking about Transformers or anything like that. Um, and yet, when he tells you why it happened you at least understand why it happened. And uh, I'm not saying it's the most healthy thing that you've ever heard, but nevertheless, it makes sense to me that um, he would not put aside this childish thing considering what happened to him and a promise he was made that was broken. So that's the thing I would like to stress. William Jackson Harper, oh my God, so charming, charming. <laughs> you care about him so much from the outset. Um, and J.O. Sanders, I'm telling you, if you ever go on a job interview, you want somebody like J.O. Sanders' character here interviewing you because he bends over backwards to be nice to this job applicant who's going to be working at a bank. There is some question about a guy who does seem to be um, personality stunted doing so well at the job. And I will admit that the playwright cheats a little at one point when the um, when J.O. Sanders, the boss, says, come into my office. And you think something bad's going to happen because of the come into my office. Um, yeah, and it's just there for the suspense of that. So we say, oh, my God, he's in trouble. Oh, no. What did he do? What did he do wrong? That's. It's not what happened at all. So as a result, J.O. Sanders, who has been shown to be adorable when he's uh, interviewing him, would say, come into my office with enthusiasm, considering he has good news to dispense. So I thought that was a cheat. But aside from that, this is a very, very good play in a very, very good production with a standout um, cast. Uh, Yes, as you said, uh, (laughs) the actress who has to play many a waitress, many a different waitress, uh, because this guy does that tiki bar quite a bit. Uh, Indeed, uh, is tremendous in playing uh, various waitresses uh, who are, range from bored to enthusiastic to caring, to caring as well. So it is a story about how you find your family. You know, many of us who don't have relations that we care about, um, who do feel that, um, <laughs> that um, you know, going to a Thanksgiving dinner means lots of relative humidity, is to use that um, weather term, because <laughs> people, our relatives get hot under the collar very, very quickly. So uh, it's it's quite a good one. And I had a really good week, you know, I mean, look at this. I have nothing but good things to say about everything, even waiting in the wings, because I, it was exciting to see potential. Peter, did you, um, there is a tiki bar that the roundabout has set up in their lounge area. I heard about that. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, And I was going to ask you if you'd stop for a drink. Um, uh, Because when when I came down in the Laura Pels is underground. And when I got downstairs and 
walk through i thought wow there are a lot of people in the lounge area mm-hmm. and then and then i looked around and and my friend said does the lounge always look like this they're <laughs> like grass huts and things like that and so i i guess they're selling um my ties and there's uh-huh. no intermission and so you gotta get your my tie beforehand uh-huh uh-huh no I, I i must say i didn't even notice leave it to you to notice it you big lush <laughs> well, well <laughs> i think i have to own it <laughs> that's where she met her pit orchestra all right so that's primary trust around about theater companies uh laura pell's theater it's playing through july 2nd we'll have a link to that in the show notes So that wraps it up for our review section. But before we go, I wanted to just throw it to Jan for a second to talk about her experience with Tina Turner, who we have sad news this week that Tina has passed away. But Jan, you had quite the meeting with her, huh? I did. At the time of uh, the movie, um, What's Love Got to Do With It, when it came Mm -hmm. out, um, I was working, uh, I was uh, an arts reporter at Time Magazine, and uh, we did a story on Ike and Tina. And the Ike portion—it was difficult to find Ike, but I tracked him down by phone. And wow. the Ike conversation was crazy. It was just—it was just crazy because I had to ask him um, uh, if he had done the things that the movie <laughs> said he had done Mm -hmm. and so finally i just thought you know i gotta do this so i said um uh, mr turner the movie says you were really hard on tina you you beat her you kicked her you strangled her and ike turner said to me i never strangled her Uh. (laughs) and then he said you know all couples have trouble Uh, (laughs) and he was just berserk. I mean, he was just sort of out there. And then Tina was then um, at, she was doing a tour and I um, caught up with her tour in Lake Tahoe. And we had an interview in her suite um, at this, this hotel and she was so different than her onstage persona. She was quiet and mm-hmm. elegant. Mm-hmm. And the thing that she really loved talking about, she wasn't really interested in talking about her past. She wasn't really that interested even talking about her music. What she really loved talking about was um the fact that she loved shopping and she loved shopping <laughs> furniture and antiques. And she said, you wow. come, she said, you come to my home and everything in my home is bought and put there by me. No decorators. Mm-hmm. I've designed my home. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, uh, you know, obviously just such a one of a kind uh, uh, talent. And that evening when I went to see her perform, so I saw this quiet, intimate, 
elegant woman. And then I went to see her perform, and she was, of course, Tina Turner. But it was in this large um, arena. And the audience was appreciative, but they were, you know, they were just appreciative. That wasn't enough for Tina. She had ended the performance. She'd gotten, you know, applause and some cheers. She came back out. And she looked at that audience and she did an encore that by the time it was over, people were standing and stomping. Mm -hmm. She just lifted that whole arena, put it on her back and said, you are going to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, She was really a remarkable woman. Mm -hmm. What a great story. Good for you. Yeah, that is wonderful. All right, so that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. If you subscribe at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Radio. You can support all of Broadway Radio's offerings and all of our shows and uh, listen early to Jan's uh, Jan's additions that she has uh, sprinkled throughout Broadway Radio monthly. We have all the drama. We also have Stagecraft. Uh, you can listen to This Week on Broadway earlier. You can listen to Today on Broadway early and all the other things that Broadway Radio has to offer. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, for Jan, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, what do we have in this week's trivia? In the late 60s, a two-time Tony-winning actor starred in a musical where he played a famous head of state. In this show, he sang a song that had a Latin title. That head of state was eventually bumped off, not in the show, but in real life. And speaking of cold-blooded killers, another one more than 1,900 years later committed a similar deed against another head of state. He commented on his nefarious action with a Latin expression that he also said in a musical in which he prominently appears. Around the same time that the second near-do-well was doing his worst in a land far, far, far away, another head of state used yet another Latin expression many, many times throughout the show. And the answer is, in her first Roman, Julius Caesar, played by two-time Tony winner Richard Kiley, sang a song called In Vino Veritas. John Wilkes Booth, in real life and in Assassins, cried out, Six Semper Tyrannis. And the king, and the king and I, repeatedly said, etc., etc., etc. All good things must come to an end. And so did Juliet Green's streak. Yes, but Tony Janicki was first by an hour and a half over our previous two-week champ. Following were Paul Witte, Arthur Robinson, Sean Logan, Mike Meany, Brigadude, Jack Leshner, Isaac Blevins, and Kathy Jones. Now, Kathy, in fact, made a suggestion we're taking. She says that because she listens to the podcast while driving, it's hard for her to take in the question uh, while she's on the road. And we certainly don't want her to get into any accidents while she's um, trying to figure it out. So she suggested we put the question in the show notes. And indeed, that's what we'll be doing from now on. So if you're driving, you have time to really savor the question when indeed you have time and it will be in the show notes. So take a look for it there. All right. So what's the new question? There's a play with a two word title. Each word of the title is the same, such as promises, promises. 
The play opened literally 29 years and one day before a very famous musical that used only one of those two identical words as its title. The play was written by a playwright who also wrote the screenplay for the film version of what was then the second longest running musical in Broadway history. What's the name of the play, the musical, the playwright, and the film? Okay, if you have an answer for us, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. Michael, what's happening in this week's musical moment? Well, I recently came across a CD uh, compilation of Shirley Bassey um, called 20 Great Love Songs. And the interesting thing about that is that I would say very few songs on it are love songs. <laughs> uh, so somebody just decided to give it that title uh, uh, and it's not very accurate, but that's okay because it's a fantastic collection of really great songs, including uh, any number of show tunes uh, sung in her own inimitable voice and in her own inimitable style. So our opener is Once in a Lifetime. Uh, from Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And our closer is a song that uh, many of us have heard recently live uh, as sung by Lily Cooper in Oliver at uh, New York City Center. And that song is As Long As He Needs Me. Uh, so uh, really uh, terrific for, uh, especially if you only know Shirley Bassey from you know, Goldfinger and things like that <laughs> <laughs> to hear her sing uh, musical theater songs. I, I think she, she does a really great job with them. All right. So on behalf of Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier and Jan Simpson, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. If you are lonely, then you will know. When someone needs you, you love them so. I won't be trust. Though people say I must, I've got to stay. Someone needs